Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm excited to be with you. If you could open up your Bibles to Psalms 139, it was part of your reading this week. Uh, you guys are in the Bible recap, and you're on this reading plan. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to that chapter, because that's where we're going to park this morning and, and hang out. Uh, but today, the title of my message is The Power of Your Own Story. Everyone say power. power. Everyone say power. power. And so I've been in ministry now for a decade. Uh, I started interning when I was 18 years old at a church, and I'm, I'm still currently in ministry today. And uh, there's a lot of things that I've learned over the years. There's a lot of conferences I've been to. There's a lot of books I've read. There's a lot of great leadership lessons that I've aspired to be like. There's a lot of mighty men and women of God who have poured and poured and poured their life into me. But the number one thing in my life that's most impactful to me is my own story. No one can refute it. No one can take it away. No one can ever say what God hasn't done in my own life because I've experienced it. And so many times I think in the church... So many times we think we just need a new message or we need the new book or we need to listen to the new podcast to get what we need. But oftentimes what we need to do is reflect and think back on our own lives and what God has already done. There are so many things that God has done in our lives and what has happened, I think, is that we become complacent and we become always wanting more because culture that we live in teaches us that we can have anything we want in 30 seconds. The devices that we have in our pocket connect us to the world, and Amazon, praise Jesus for Amazon, will get you anything within a 12-hour time frame if you order early enough. And when you don't order early enough, you're frustrated <laughs> and you're upset. Like, no, I wanted, <laughs> I needed all my new bendy straws to come in today, not tomorrow. Like, first world problems, like it's what we live in. But I say all that to say that the greatest thing that God has ever done has been my own story and my own life. I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a saint, I'm a, I'm a flawed human being, I make mistakes, but God is good. And as we continue this morning, I want to tell you my story, because there's nothing powerful than your own story. I was born on February 12th, me and Abe Lincoln share a birthday, we have a bond, it's awesome, I love it. I was born in 1990, which makes Pastor Josh older than me, which makes me very happy. <laughs> uh, I was born in Sacramento, California, and I was two months premature. Two months premature, and so before I continue, I want you to know that the devil didn't want me to succeed from the very beginning. That I was born two months early, and as a premature baby, I was still five pounds, which which I, that's the Lord's grace saving my mother, because if I ever went to full term, like, I would have just been born a toddler, and so <laughs> it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have been good. But I was born in Sacramento, California. Uh, in 1990, and then my mom and my dad decided to get married because they were pregnant with me, and my dad was running drugs for somebody, and my mom worked at the grocery store, and when I was born, my dad was absent, and he wasn't there. He was like on a bench somewhere, he had stolen a car, he had done all this stuff, and I was born, and then they tried to get back together, and then my father, he cut a deal with the police, and he ratted on all of his people he was doing drugs with, and they gave him, they let him get out of out of jail sentencing, and then they, we relocated from Sacramento, we moved up to a little tiny town called Susanville, California. Does anyone know where Susanville is? God bless you if you know where Susanville is. Thank you so much. 
I feel heard. I feel seen. Thank you so much. And we moved to Susanville, California when I was about four years old. And uh, my, my father got a job at the lumber mill. My mom did babysitting on the side. And they were just trying to figure it out. My mom was 19 years old when she had me. They were kids. I, like, I had my daughters when I was 25. I couldn't imagine having children in my teens, in my early 20s. I have no idea how they did it. But thank you, Jesus, that they did because I'm here. And my, my parents never grew up in the church. My, my mom my mom and my grandpa and my grandma, they, they grew up Catholic but never went to Mass, never did any of those things. My dad didn't know his dad, didn't have a dad, and so he was just living his life as best as he thought he knew how. But Jesus was never a part of that story. And then one day there was this awesome lady at the mill that my dad worked at. She was a receptionist, and she went to this church, and she said, hey, Dennis, you should come to church with us. You should bring your family. It's, it's cool. And uh, they were part of the Lutheran church. And my dad was like, okay, I'll try it. Like, why not? I think she enticed him with free food. That's why we do it. We want free food for you so that you come and be a part so that Jesus will do something in your life. Because I'll do anything for a free hot dog. Like, free hot dog? I'm there. <laughs> no problem. And so, and so uh, my, my parents, they went to this church, and they didn't go to the Lutheran church. The Lutheran church and the Pentecostal church of God were on the same street. Susanville, it's really small. It's really homey like Madeira. And so when I'm here, I feel like I'm at home. So thank you, Jesus. And so when they came to the Lutheran church, they shot past the Lutheran church and went to the Pentecostal church of God. And when they walked in, <laughs> come on, somebody. And when they walked in the church that day, they're not religious people. When they walked in church that day, they got filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and Jesus called them to do something in their lives. And that's my introduction to church. So I've been, I was born in church. I was bo uh, four years old, five years old in church. I'm the oldest of two brothers, all in church our whole lives. The foundational, the foundational beginnings of who I am was a miracle. My dad... Um, still struggled throughout his life and different things. And so as we began to attend church, they started to ask my parents to do things. My mom helped with worship. She did announcements. Um, my dad was really vibrant and really energetic. They're like, hey, will you watch the teenagers during service? He was like, sure. <laughs> and then like the next week, they're like, hey, this is our youth pastor, Dennis. And he's like, what's a youth pastor? I don't know what I'm, what, huh? And so my, my parents started becoming these people that were, that were just, giving themselves and diving in and giving their lives to these youth and, and people like that. And they were just so consumed with young people and helping them. And then as we progress, I'm in eighth grade and I'm about to transition from junior high to high school. And I'm walking home one day. And when I get to my house, I open my door and my pastor and his wife, uh, the Ingalls, are sitting in my living room uh, with, uh, with my neighbor. And my parents aren't there. And I'm like, where's mom and dad? What's going on? They said, Nick, uh, mom and dad got in a car accident, and they're in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's, not, that's not good. And I had just, I remember I had my basketball uniform on when I was a kid because, and I came in, and I, and I remember just being cold. I don't know why that's relevant to the story, but it, it is to me right now. And we're like, okay. And so this began a season of demise in my family. So my parents, they were in the hospital. They both, like, broke their backs and hurt themselves and all this stuff. And so they were on this rehab and they were trying to figure it all out. And God was good. We had this community around us that was helping us and all these things. And then that's when prescription drugs entered into my home. That's when the medication and all these things entered into my home. And that's when life started to spiral out of control. My dad became addicted. 
My mom became addicted, and pretty soon that the house that was the house that everyone wanted to be at was the house that nobody wanted to be at. And I was in my high school years, and I was trying to make my way through life, and my parents were absent because they were hurting, and they were bedridden, and they were rehabbing, and they couldn't be a part of games or activities and all these things. And I was like, where's God in all of these things? Right before I went into high school, I went to a summer camp. <laughs> Mount Lassen Summer Camp. Anyone know where Mount Lassen Summer Camp is? Because if you know where that is, you're my favorite person on the planet. So I went to Mount Lassen summer camp, and I was a broken individual because I was like, God, I don't understand why this is happening in my life. And I went to the altar as a teenager, and I surrendered my life to Christ, and he filled me with the Holy Spirit, and he baptized me, and he called me into ministry. It's like, Nick, you're going to be a pastor. It's like, what the heck does that even mean? How do I even do that? For those of you who gave in that special offering last week to make sure that someone gets to camp, you're going to change somebody's life. I am the direct result of somebody believing in me enough to send me to a summer camp. That's who I am. And if you're a teenager in this room and you're like, I don't want to go to summer camp, you need to. Uh, it's going to be weird. No, it's not. It'll be the best week of your life. It'll be the best week of your life. And God will change you and he will transform you. So that was my plug for summer camp. You need to go do it. After that happened and I accepted Jesus and we continue on in my pursuit of, of who that was. I was in high school, so I was crazy and I wasn't following God. I was a, I was a Christian on Wednesdays and Sundays, um, running around with my friends, being silly, doing silly teenager things that are, are totally irrelevant to life in general. And I remember when I, when I was graduating, I had the chance, um, when I was graduating, I was going to move on. And I was going to go to a community college, or maybe I was going to go to UNR in Reno, or I was going to go to Chico State. But the calling that God had put on my life, I was running from it. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because if this is a God who loves me and cares about me, then why is my family the way that they are? Like, no, I'm good. Peace out. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then there was this program called Master's Commission uh, through Capital Christian Center in Sacramento, California. And they do this like trial week, like, hey, come check out for a week and hang out and come to chapels and do all these things. I said, okay, I'll check it out. Like, but I was like set in my mind, like I'm not going here. I'm going to do it to make, my mom, to make my mom happy and I'm not going. And so, you know, how God works, so I went. That's where, uh, so I went. I said, no, God, and then I went. And I, I remember being in my first couple years of interning, so broken, so there was so much uh, physical abuse. There was so much emotional abuse. There was so much trauma from my childhood. I, I had converted myself into this people pleaser. I have morphed myself into this person that needed everyone to like me. I needed everyone to, to, to be connected to me. I needed everyone to, to think that I was the best and I was this. I had this golden child complex because of all the trauma in my life and all these different things and all this kinds of crazy stuff. And I remember the first year I was... I was praying, we did prayer every morning at, at 7 o'clock for an hour, like I don't know who makes college kids sit down for an hour and pray, because it was just snoring time most of the time, but don't tell our directors that, because we were holy and we were good, and they're like, no. But one morning I was, I was sitting there, and there was a third year intern who came to me, her name was Anna Lazar, I'll never forget this day, she came to me, 
with tears in her eyes, she said, Nick, you're giving your attention to everyone else except for me. This is what God is telling you, that you're giving your attention to everyone else and trying to make everyone else like you when I'm the only one that matters in your life. That was a formation moment that changed me. I said, God, I never want to just do things for you or be around you. I want to be with you. Friends, part of your story, you have to be with God. You can't do things for God. You can't do things with God. You need to be with God because he wants you to be with him. Because he wants you to be with him. Fast forward, we did th- I did three years of interning, and at the end of interning, they placed you in your first ministry position. And then there was this church in Wisconsin. Who's ever been to Wisconsin? Exactly, nobody. <laughs> nobody goes to Wisconsin. And I didn't even know where it was. I thought it was like by Canada, or it was like somewhere, like... I knew it was like in the middle somewhere, and there was this church that needed a junior high pastor. I was like, nah, that's not my thing. Like, I'll stay here at Capitol, and we'll hang out in California because it's California. And, the, and, <laughs> and uh, my director was like, no, I think you should go check it out. So he paid for a plane ticket, and I flew to Wisconsin in the middle of winter, which didn't make my situation or my convincing any better. Like, no, it's cold here. I'm not going. Not doing it. It's frigid. Frigid. Like, you walk outside, and your bones hurt. Like, you ever been that cold where you walk outside and your bones hurt? Like, I can't explain it to you. You have to experience it. It's awful. But anyway, I was like, no, not going. And Lord said, go. And I was like, okay. And I went. (laughs) And I was there. And I went. At that time in my life, I was dating Deb. We were dating. We got together our third year of interning. And we did the long distance thing because distance makes the heart grow fonder. (laughs) Come on, somebody. She didn't want me to go, but I went because God had told me to go. And so every point of my journey in my life, when God said go, I just, I ended up saying yes. Sometimes he bent my arm, but I said yes. And I had this dependency on the Lord because I knew that he would bring about something from it. And so I said, go to Wisconsin. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. We long distance did the thing apart. It was crazy. Uh, but I was so broken because I just left my life and I was going to Wisconsin and and it was like an escape, like, hey, I'm just going to run from my problems. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep all, my parents at this time, my dad got in a really bad accident, lost a limb, they got divorced, my mom cheated, so much more drama, so much more things happened in my life, and I'll, I'll tell you everything if you want to after. We'll be here for a long time, but I'll tell you everything. <laughs> and so I moved to Wisconsin, and I'm so broken, and I'm so hurting. And God began to do a work in my life. He began to heal me. He began to use the people around me in my life to to inspire me to to be better. Friends, the people that are in your life today are there for a reason. Those who have been entrusted to speak into your life, listen to them. Please listen to them because they're going to make you better. They're going to make you greater. They're going to, God is going to use them to get you to where you need to be, to the next season that you're supposed to walk into. So through Wisconsin, we were there for four, almost four years. Deborah and I, I came back that next Christmas after the first year, and we, I proposed, and then we got married, and then I moved my California princess to Wisconsin where it was cold. Not the best idea. But we, but we really, we depended upon each other. We depended upon uh, our new marriage. It, it was just this great foundation that was laid. And then we felt the inkling of the Lord to move back to California, move back home, and knew that God was doing something. And knew that God was shaping and forming, but he, it's not like a church called me from California and said, hey, will you come and be our pastor? I was just, I was a junior high pastor in Wisconsin working full-time at a school district, and but knew that the Lord was doing something. So Deb transferred her job over. She was a banker and a really great banker. She was awesome. And then I get a call from Josh Blair. 
Josh, he was on an Amtrak train going somewhere. He, he, was, he was doing something. He was doing school, going to see Faith on an Amtrak train. He called me, and he said, hey, because me and Josh had met at his wedding because our wives were friends who said that. <laughs> said, hey, like, would you ever consider being, like, a facilities director? Like, I know that you work in maintenance now at the school, and, you know, we have this opening at the church. I know you're moving back. What do you think? I'm like, maybe. Like, God could use anything. God could do anything. Sure. Why not? And then, like, a couple days later, he, like, texted me. He's like, that's not going to work out. I was like, cool. Thanks, bro. You're awesome. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> and so we moved on faith. We literally sold everything we had in our apartment in Wisconsin, and we packed our two cars with our cat, which never buy a cat. If you have a cat, I'm so sorry that you have a cat. But, like, be, be a dog person. Don't be a cat person, okay? That's for free. It has nothing to do with anything. But we, <laughs> I got a hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Come on. And so we moved. We moved across country with just everything we could fit into our cars. And we, she started work. And I was being a part-time maintenance guy for my brother-in-law. And we got to Sacramento on a Sunday. And then on Thursday, Pastor Josh called me. He said, hey, I had a maintenance guy throw his keys at me. Will you come and start tomorrow? I said, yes, I will. Let's go. <laughs> and I. I had no recollection of Trinity Life Center. I had no idea where it was in the city of Sacramento. I just knew it was a full-time job that had the door to open to do ministry. I said, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. So I show up, and my first day, I'm wearing a nice bright polo with some khaki shorts and some nice shoes because I'm, I don't know what I'm getting into, so I'm just hanging out. Pastor Josh, so kind, going to his office, sit down, meet some staff, takes me on this tour, and I start my first full day, and he was like, hey, you need to go clean the pool. I said, excuse you? <laughs> It's like, yeah, we have a pool in the back and the pressure washer. You got to, it's got green. You got to, like, clean it. I was like, I don't have any other clothes. He was like, sorry. <laughs> I was like, okay. But that's what I had to do, and that's what I was hired to do. I was hired to do maintenance, and I was hired to do those things. And so I remember I had an undershirt under my polo, took the polo off, put it down, and came back, and my khakis were no longer, like, the nice cream color. They were, like, dark and black and gross. And for the next month, I came home every day filthy because there was order that needed to be put into the house of God in the department that I was in. And Pastor Josh entrusted me to do that. So for the next month, all I did was clean every day and get things in order and work hand in hand and side by side as he led with character and integrity. And it began to form some things inside of me. It began to form some resilience and some skills and some all kinds of stuff. Like I started in my current ministry position as a maintenance man, not even a pastor or having a seat at the table, but God, in the very beginning, said, Nick, the way to influence is serving. The way to influence is serving. The way to influence is loving the people that I've entrusted you to love, and you are to serve them. In the moment when I'm cleaning the pool in my khakis, I don't see that moment. I don't hear those things. I'm just frustrated, like, ah, okay, let's get it, let's go. <laughs> and it wasn't until years later until I began to hear these things. So I've been at Trinity now for seven years. Seven years almost, and I went from maintenance guy to facilities director to junior high pastor to pastor of student ministries, and now I help lead our downtown campus. And I don't say those things because I'm awesome, because I'm not. I'm not, like I'm a broken, hurting human being, and God uses everything and every brokenness in my life to promote you to where you need to go. <laughs> Powerful. It's good. And one significant story that's in there is that about four years ago, there was a pastor on staff. His name was Robert Douglas. 
And Robert was in charge of the spiritual formation and the mentoring of the younger pastors at Trinity Life Center. And I was broken and I was hurting. So all the issues from childhood that I just explained and so many more I haven't. All the abandonment issues, all of the running and all of the hiding. I was, I was bruised and addicted for years and just broken. And I never dealt with any of it. Even when I was pastoring, never dealt with any of it. And four years ago, Robert Douglas came into my life. And he sat me in his office and he, he said, hey, Nick, I, I think God wants to heal your life. I think he wants to make you whole. And there was pride in that moment. I said, I'm good, Pastor. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, nah, you're hurting. I said, no, I'm fine. He said, okay. And he slid across the counter this, this sheet of paper. It's called the blue sheet. And he slid it across the counter and said, hey, fill this out honestly and give it back to me. And I looked at what was on the sheet, and it was, a, it was an in-depth questionnaire about my personal character and what I do in my own private life. And I was reading the questions, and I was, I was like, I need to lie about everything on this sheet or I will lose my job. I'm going to tell my newly pregnant wife, we were pregnant at the time, that I lost my job and I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in this moment. He says, Nick, if you're honest with me, I will heal you. And I will take care of you. And so I begin to fill it out honestly, and I begin to cry. And my mentor, Robert Douglas, stands up from behind his desk, and he walks behind me, and he has anointing oil, and he anoints my head, and he prays over me while I fill the rest of the sheet out. Fill all the way down, all the way out. He told me to date it on the top. I dated it on the top. He said, Nick, from this moment, start your healing journey. Pastor Robert didn't take that sheet, and he didn't go to my senior pastor and say, look at what this guy's done wrong. He said, God's going to heal you, Nick. And I have a senior pastor who allowed Pastor Douglas to do that in my life, to give me a safe place to heal, to be restored, and to grow. From that, since that day, almost five years ago, I have never been the best version of me. I have the best marriage. I'm the best dad. I'm the best friend. I'm the best pastor that I've ever been. Not the best meaning perfect, because I'm not perfect, but I'm just the healthiest that I've ever been, because... I let my brokenness turn into what God had for me. I used my brokenness and I submitted it to God, acknowledging that I, I wasn't good enough on my own. And he turned me into the man that I am today. And every single day, I, I get the opportunity to grow because I, I will never arrive. Friends, you will never get to a place in your life where you're good, where you have enough Jesus and enough word inside of you that you could just coast until you make it into heaven. That's not a thing. Every day you have to grow. Every day there's things that come up. There's frustrations. There's pains. There's deep wounds on my heart that are still exposed that need to be healed. Friends, let me be an encouragement today that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect because God will take you wherever you're at and he'll help grow you to who you become. So how does this relate to our text today? How does my story relate? If you go to Psalms chapter 139, we... It's a psalm from David. David is an amazing man of God. And David has a story, an incredible story that is full of highs and lows and craziness and all this stuff. So David, before this, David is the son of Jesse who gets anointed by the great prophet Samuel. And as Samuel's at Jesse's house, he's like, hey, line up all your sons and I want to see which one's going to be anointed to be king. And they go through them all. And he's like, no, it's not the right one. <laughs> Do you have another son? And his father, Jesse, says, 
yeah, I have, I have the one that's in the field, but he just watches sheep. And in the Hebrew, there's a word in there, as he describes his son, that, that translates into worthless. <laughs> Jesse has a son that's worthless to him, and the son is in the field tending sheep. And as, as David comes to his father's house to be in front of the prophet, the Bible says that he is this man that's of this stature, and he's like of this positivity and of this resilience. And, you know, David killed lions with his hands and bears with his hands. Like, how do I do that? Like, how do I? Uh, I don't know. But he was this man, and then he, he was counted as worthless by his own family, but Samuel saw him, anointed him. And then as he continues on, he becomes, he becomes the, the private musician to the king, right? If David had an Instagram back then, it would have been a ukulele, and he would have been posting all day long, like, hey, check out my vibes, check out my tunes. That's what he would have been doing the whole time. But he has this incredible, crazy amazing story in in psalms 139 it kind of comes to this is a psalm that david reads that is like you could just see the reflection of his life and he could just trust god so well even in the highs and in the lows it says in verse one, oh lord you have searched me and you know me you know when i sit down and when i rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all of my ways that is a man who knows god he knows him. He knows despite, despite of everything that has happened. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me behind me and before you, and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I, if I make my beds in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle at the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Verse 11, if I say surely, the darkness will hide me. In Hebrew, the word darkness is translated to wickedness. So before this moment, before this psalm was written, David had his own debacle with a woman named Bathsheba. So David is the king now. He's in the palace. He's hanging out. And this is the first time that David isn't out in battle. It's, not the, fir it's the first time that he's kind of just, he has people to go and do that for him. So he's... He, he's this person that has been, uh, that Israel has been relying on for all this time. And now he's kind of in the castle just hanging out. And he's just walking around in the, in the palace. And he sees this woman that's bathing from afar. He's like, that, that's something. <laughs> and he says, hey, I need, I, I need that. And I, I want you to come here with me. And he does this thing with Bathsheba that's a no-no. Don't do that. And instead of owning up to it, he devises a plan to kill her husband in battle <laughs> and cover it up. Sounds like an episode of Desperate Housewives. <laughs> and so he devises this plan where he's going to go out. And he, they told, he told his commander of the army, hey, the husband's name is Uriah. Have Uriah go out in front of us and we'll all retreat and then he'll die in battle and we'll cover up this affair that I've had. But how many of you know, like, if you try to cover things up and God has called you and anointed you, someone's always going to find out. No matter what you do, no matter what you do, whatever you do in the dark will always re be revealed in the light. And it might not be years until it's revealed, but it will be revealed every single time. And so Nathan comes, <laughs> comes and approaches David. And David thinks he's got away with it. He's like, ah, I'm good. It's fine. We're cool. Like, everything's died down. It's all good. I'm going to take... 
Bathsheba is my wife and look honorable because her husband died, so I'm just like the gracious king. But Nathan comes and spills the tea on David and, and, and exposes the lie. And then David goes into this turmoil. So how can a man who went through all of those things write Psalms 139? How can he have such a dependency on the Lord? How can he have such a strong nature in the Lord? How can his story be so full of highs and lows and all this stuff, but he can still write this way? Friends, David used his own brokenness to depend on God, and he knows the power of the Lord. Friends, in your own life, your own story is the key that will propel you into what God has for you next. When you reflect and think about where God has brought you from, it will only push you to where you're going to go. And it doesn't need to be the newest podcast, the newest book. God has already done so much inside of all of you to push you to where you need to go next. And what the enemy will do, he will distract you. He will play the comparison game in your mind. He will, comp- he will make you compare yourself to other people saying, well, I'm not like that. Or I don't have that. Or if I just had this. Or if I had more money. Or if I had more time. Or if I had this or that. No, friends. God has given you everything in your life. And he has given you every single thing that you need to succeed. Your story is powerful. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. David knows what it's like to try to keep something from the Lord and have it exposed. Friends, in this room, if you are hiding something from everybody, and you think that you're hiding it from God, you're not. There is healing in the light. There is not condemnation. There is not, like, you're not going to get kicked out. You're not going to be dismayed. You're not going to be forgotten. There is no healing in hiding. There is only healing when you expose the truth. And that thing that you're hiding is not because you want to hide it. It's because you're wounded. And friends, we're all wounded. All of us are wounded. And we need to shed light on wounds in our own hearts, in our own lives. Verse 13, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So David transitions from God, you will be in my life. You will know who I am even when I mess up. And you will, you will know all my mistakes. And then he st- starts to talk about his identity. Friends, for us to understand who God is, we have to understand our identity in Christ. That you are a son and daughter of the Most High. So part of my journey with Robert Douglas the last four years that I have, I've always done for God. I've always been a doer. Like anyone who knows me, I'm an Enneagram too. I'm a helper. I'll do it all. Like, like, like this last weekend was a testament of how much that I will do for others. Like so many things will happen in my life and I'll be exhausted and someone will be like, hey, can you help me move? Yeah, sure. Let's go. And like I can barely walk. Like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, and so that's what I was doing for God. I was just helping and doing and moving and all this stuff, and like, I thought my works were going to get me into heaven. And when I started this journey with Pastor Robert, he said, Nick, you're a son of God first. The first thing you are is his son. And when you're someone's son, Nick, you don't have to earn anything. You just are. And you don't have to do anything. You just are. And you have an inheritance, and he loves you no matter what. And he started at that meeting one. And so today, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that I pray is that, God, I'm so thankful that I'm your son. Before I'm a dad, before I'm a husband, before I'm a pastor, 
I'm a son. And that's my identity. And friends, you live and you fight from your identity. You live and you fight from it. So if you, are the, if, you, if you identify yourself as whatever anyone or whatever lie has been spoken over you, that's not who you are. You are a son and a daughter first. That's who you are. And that's where you live from. Easier said than done. Just a disclaimer. <laughs> like, sometimes we can hear all these things and be like, oh yeah, that sounds so good. And it's really hard to live out. Because we have this flesh nature. I don't know if you experienced that today. How many of you got frustrated driving to church, right? Like it's a flesh nature that's inside of us. For you created my innermost being, 13. You knit me together in my mother's womb. If I praise you because, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. David knows his identity. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. This is a man who is writing this after an affair that he had and he committed murder on an individual. But he still can have adoration for his father because he knows who he is in Christ. Friends, it doesn't matter what you do. God is good in your life. He's worthy to be praised despite your commitment to him, because his commitment to you is always faithful. Always. Verse 18, when I, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Verse 19, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and arbor those who rise up against you? Verse 20, I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. It's really strong. We're not supposed to hate. <laughs> we're, we're Christians. We're not supposed to do that. Friends, who you surround yourself with is where you'll be headed in your future. So many times, uh, I'm a youth pastor at Trinity, and I hang out with young people, and I say this all the time. I say, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Whoever you choose to, to surround yourself with will be who you are. So Pastor Robert and I are in this mentoring relationship, have been for four years, and one of the processes of that is a mentorship group. And so we started, we began with four individuals, it was me and four other guys, who started this journey, who were broken and wounded just like I was, who knew, who knew everything about me, who knew all my ups, downs, trials, secret sins, they knew it all. And they didn't leave me, they, they stayed and they prayed and they, they stood with me. Friends, in your, in your lives, you need people that will stand with you in the highs and in the lows. That the bloodthirsty men that are in your life, the people that only want to take from you, are not the people that you need to be around. You've got to surround yourself with good people. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, our stories are the most powerful things that we have. And in my life, I pray those last two verses often because I know that the tendencies of my sinful human nature 
our behalf. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The tendencies of my sinful human nature and the wounds of my past will lead me towards paths of destruction. And so what I do is I pray in my life and say, search me, O God, and know who I am. God, if there's anything in my heart that I can't even see in myself, I pray that you will reveal it to me. God, I pray that you will reveal my attitude, the, the way that I interact with others, the way that I treat others, the way that I... My, and so over the last few weeks, my attitude has been in check, that I've had to check my own attitude. The last few weeks, last few months, really, where I've been really critical of others. And that a critical spirit's not of God. And what I want to do is I want to build each other up, but I want to build up the body, and I don't want to be critical. I want to focus on the assignment that God has for me, and I want to live in that. But I pray that I say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Not to condemn or convict me or to shame me, but God, challenge me to be better. Challenge me to be greater. David knows that he is a man that is capable of falling. So this is why he says that. Because he has fallen before hard. <laughs> he had an affair with a woman and he committed a murder on her husband. Like, I know that all of us have our issues, but hopefully none of us have done that. But David knows that he can fall. And so he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievance way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, what's in your hearts today? Can you read these last two verses and can you identify the anxiousness of your own heart? Can you identify the sin? Can you identify the problems? And if you can't identify those problems, that's a really good thing. Some of us, though, we're so wounded and hurt, we can't identify what exactly is wrong with us. Because we, we need the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in that. If you were to walk away with anything from this message or from my story today, I, I want you to remember this. When you are faithful, God gives favor. When you are faithful, God gives favor. Part of my journey at Trinity, I started as a maintenance guy, and I'm here today not because I'm special, but because I chose four years ago in an office of a man to say, you know what, I'm going to be open and honest with my life. And I'm going to take the brokenness that I have and I'm going to heal from it. And God has promoted every step since that day. Because when you are faithful, God gives favor. When we look at the life of David, David was faithful. Even in his struggles, even in his depravity as a man, he still at the end of the day rose up and was faithful. When you get knocked down, friends, you got to get back up. It, not on your own accord, there's the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God that lifts us up to continue on in this life. I'm reminded of Paul. Paul, one of the greatest, the greatest apostles ever in, in the book, in the New Testament, was a slayer of Christians. He killed Christians and had this incredible encounter with God, and he got back up. Friends, when you're faithful to God, God gives you favor in your life. Not just to have things. So many times I think that we equate favor with like blessings and riches and money. Like that's not what favor is. Favor is having a good marriage. Favor is being good parents. Favor is having really close relationships in your life that you can hold on to. That's the blessing of God. 
Favor is when your car starts in the morning so you can get to work. It's not just riches. It's not just money, but God does do that. God does bless us. God does give us financial opportunities to grow and to all those things. But favor in our lives looks like a complete and whole life and a healthy life, not a perfect life. (laughs) Friends, none of us can be perfect, but we can be healthy and we can be whole. David showed us that it's possible. Search me, O God, and know my heart. If everyone can bow your head and close your eyes as we wrap up. Jesus, I, I sense that you're doing something deep, Lord, in this place and in this space. God, like everyone in this room, I'm a flawed human being and I have issues and I have sin that I need to ask repentance for. God, in the power of my story, is the best thing that I have in my arsenal to combat against the enemy. Because when I start to feel low, when I start to do things, God, I can be reminded of your goodness in my own life, and I can, and I can lean on that. But Lord, today there might be some people in this room that need to get their story started with you. That up to this point, their story has been chaotic and full of, of pain and despair. God, and they need hope today. For those who, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to start your story with Jesus today and accept him as your Lord and Savior and to move into this realm where you're a son and a daughter of the, of the king where hope is restored, if you want to receive Jesus today, will you raise your hand? Thank you so much. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, we pray for those who raised their hand today, God, we, we celebrate, God, right now what you're doing. God, we pray that those individuals, God, um, would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are there for them. God, God, that you could take the brokenness of their lives and you could take the, all of the things that have not gone their way, God, and you could turn it into something that's incredible. God, right now we acknowledge that You sent your son to to die on a cross for us, God, and that's how we receive salvation. And we move in that direction. God, heal us. Heal the wounds of our hearts in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting